The following podcast is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. It seems like it's been two weeks at least since we have all been in the same office together. I'm sorry, studio. But we're back. We're doing another episode of True Crime on Easy Street. Kelly Turner is in the big chair tonight. Before we get started, there is one shout out. Tell me again who that was. Kay, uh, Kelly, you just told me. TK Smith, 1982. A five-star a, review. Yeah, and a, so and you can stay. Yeah, some wonderful words on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much. Yeah, if you don't have a five-star review, keep it to yourself. But <laughs> this person did, and so we thank you very much for being a listener to the show. You are back listening to another episode of True Crime on Easy Street. My name is Scott Wright. I am a mediocre journalist. I'm Kelly Turner, and I'm not a doctor. I'm Katie Givens. I'm not a lawyer. So we are going to do something that I don't know a whole lot about tonight because I have purposely uh, taken the dummy chair, right? (laughs) So I'm just going to sit here and be a gawk at whatever you tell us for the next hour, Kelly Mm -hmm. Turner. Yes. And uh, I think, Katie, you as well, right? Nope. It is just Kelly. You know... I, but I mean, you you don't know this story either. Not so well, you and no. I are on the same. Oh, yes. You and I, yes, same as you. I breezed past it for about 15 or 20 seconds yeah. on Friday mm-hmm. just so that I wasn't a complete idiot. Although that is That's a debatable. matter of some <laughs> conjecture. Uh, so anyway, I'm going to slink out of the way. Kelly Turner, yeah. run with it. Okay. So this is the Halloween episode. Of True Crime on Easy Street. Happy Halloween, Happy folks. Halloween dun, to dun, everyone. Dun. I know. I forgot that when this drops, it will be our Halloween episode. Yes. You this look like you're in costume. Spooky. <laughs> These are my prescription sunglasses. It is very bright in here. The sun is out today. Scott is sitting in our studio today with sunglasses on. That's right. They're prescription. Mm-hmm. I can't see without them. If I have to read something on my phone later, mm-hmm. and hopefully I won't. Right. I'm going to have to. Apparently, he needs those to listen today. Yes. He needs those on. <laughs> That's correct. To listen to the story. Move along, ma'am. Move along. <laughs> okay. So, today's uh, Halloween edition, True Crime on Easy Street, we played the disclaimer. Did we? Mm-hmm. At the beginning. Katie Gibbons. Yep. We yes. did. Katie Gibbons is giving us a nod in the affirmative that we did play the disclaimer. So, the following story was the inspiration For the 1996 slasher film, Scream. Have you seen Scream? Yes, I have. Okay. Katie, have you seen Scream? I have. All right. I remember seeing Scream in the theater. I was in high school when this movie came out. I think I saw it on VHS. Okay. Google that. (laughs) We went as a big group to the theater to see it. It was sold out. There was not an empty seat. This was the first time. What a great way to see a film too, by the way. When when the whole thing is full. Yeah. Whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I remember seeing Superman in 1978 in a full theater. Yeah. This was was a sold out theater. Full theater. And it was the first time that a really scary movie had come out and had a lot of um, hype behind it. Since 78. For a long time. It had been a long time. And so we were all excited. So we went to see it. Um, You'd have this big intense scene and everybody would scream out loud. I mean, literally, and then start laughing at each other you know it had those moments where we'd jump out and scare you and you'd scream and then they got the title right yeah it was scream yeah and then it it was it was a lot of fun to see it in the theater but the story that i'm telling you today is far from fun 
It's not the same that the experience that you get from viewing the horror movie on the big screen. The Gainesville Ripper terrorized the University of Florida campus for four days in 1990, killing five students. Four of them were University of Florida students, and one was a local community college student. It was only it was only a four day. It was a four day spree wow. of killing. Okay, then it was a few more days before they okay. caught him. Got it. And again, I said we played the disclaimer before this started, but I'm telling you again, this is for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Wow, two disclaimers. Yeah, that's rough. This is going to be bad. So Danny Harold Rowling was born on May the 26th, 1954 to Claudia and James Rowling in Shreveport, Louisiana. His father never wanted children and he made that very clear. He was he was a cop and he was a very abusive man to his wife and to his children. Very, very abusive to Danny and Danny's younger brother, especially uh, the younger brother, Kevin, was born in 1955. The abuse just got worse. Danny's school counselors described him as suffering from an inferiority complex with aggressive tendencies and poor impulse control. So that that makes sense. If you're growing up in a, in a ridiculously abusive home mm-hmm. um, and you might be aggressive. Well, poor it, seems like we, it seems like we hear this a lot in the stories that we do. The older brother in an abusive relationship. Yeah. Gets the brunt of it. Yeah, pretty much. Um, At 11, Danny Rowling used to play music as a way to cope with his abusive father. He played guitar and he sang hymn-like songs. But also at 11, Danny began using drugs and alcohol. At age 14, Danny's neighbors caught him peeping into their daughter's room. And Danny tried to stay in control of this by attending church, he thought that would help him stop the uh, urges to be what's called a peeping Tom. He had some voyeuristic behavior. Boy, we've talked oh, about yeah. that too on this show. Yeah. Uh, however, Danny still struggled. Uh, he struggled to hold down steady work as he's going through high school. So he finally just decides to join the military. Okay. He joined the Air Force, but he eventually quit after too much drug use, which included taking acid, according to Danny, more than 100 times. All so right. someone that's who's a, used acid over 100 times. It's yeah. a lot of acid. That would be the early 70s yeah, when acid was prolific mm-hmm. in the drug scene. And apparently that will get you discharged from the Air Force. So he was discharged. He did manage to get married and actually have a little bit of a typical life there for a little bit. In 1977, at age 23, after being with his wife for four years, she separated from him after he threatened to kill her. So turns out Danny was an abusive husband. He would fly into fits of rage. Just not a great guy to live with. I mean, Doesn't nobody, sound like it. No. So she files for a divorce after he threatened to kill her. Now, Danny was devastated about this, and he was very, very angry. Not long after she filed for divorce, in fact, it might have been the day, I don't know if it was the day, but not long, not long after they filed for divorce, he raped a woman who closely resembled his ex-wife. Oh, my God. And later that year, he killed a woman in a car accident, which troubled him further. So he was a a pretty big dude. Uh, he was about six two, pretty pretty big. Yeah, he was he was not a sizable. I mean, he's slim. He's not 
scrawny, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So he's he's a pretty big dude. So uh, from the late uh, 1970s to the 1990s, Danny committed a series of petty crimes and thefts. He would commit armed robberies in order to get money. And he was in and out of the criminal justice systems in Louisiana, Mississippi, Georgia, and Alabama. Oh, God. There's yeah. our connection. There it is. Now, and you said he was born in 52. So this guy's mm-hmm. in his mid to late 30s. Yeah, when this happens. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. He broke out of prison several times and was fired and quit jobs just as frequently. On November the 4th, 1989, the bodies of three victims were found in Shreveport. Those bodies were 24-year-old Julie Grissom, her father Tom, and her nephew, 8-year-old Sean. They were all killed around the time Danny lost his last job and returned home in vengeance. Mm. So things would happen in his life and he would get just mad. And then he would go take it out on someone. Right. And typically the woman resembled his ex-wife. Dark hair, um, smaller build, that, certain characteristics. A, a recurring theme for his victims. Correct. And Julie Grissom was... Uh, of the same. Okay. He knew this this family. They had tried to help him out from time to time. I believe they had attended the same church together at some point. This was a loving family and they tried to help him and he repaid them by murdering all of them brutally, stabbing them. He also positioned Julie Grissom's body in a very sexually explicit way. So that was, that's another thing that we're going to learn is his MO. Got it. Just how he positions the dead bodies. Yes. And it's the women. It, it didn't not- do that with the eight-year-old or with um, her father, a, Tom. And that's another sign. I mean, if you're, if we're talking about a serial killer, mm-hmm. one of the things that they do is they have this modus operandi where mm-hmm. they, the they, signature. they do this, their signature, they mm-hmm. do it the same way or they learn as they go, but it's the same thing. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to definitely speaking. see that escalate. Okay. Um, in ni- May of 1990, he shot his 58 year old father twice and nearly killed him. Uh, his father, James Rowling, survived but lost an eye and an ear because he shot him in the face. Wow. Golly. And so they got into a huge fight. It escalated again. And Danny decided, you know what? I'm going to shoot you. Why? Shot him twice. Why is this man not in jail? Uh, he is in and okay. out. Okay. Okay. <laughs> in and out. Uh, after he shoots his father, he changes his identity with papers he stole after breaking into someone's house. He fled Shreveport, took a bus to Sarasota, Florida to start a new life as Michael Kennedy Jr. in late July of 1990. He was hoping that going to Florida would, you know, be exactly what he needed to calm himself down and ease all of these urges and things that he's having, but it only made him worse. No fresh start. Nope. On Thursday, August the 23rd, 1990, Danny followed Sonia Larson and Christina Powell home to their apartment. Now, both were freshmen at the University of Florida in Gainesville, and they had just moved there. He watched the girls from outside their window for a while. They were talking, doing the dishes. I mean, school has just started. Right. They're freshmen. It's their first semester. 
They're they're away from home. They're finally on their the own. First they're time. stocking the refrigerator. They're mm-hmm. putting the sheets on their bed. They're yeah. vacuuming the floor. They're hanging their own photographs and and mm-hmm. images on the wall. That's right. They're about to start their lives. Yep, absolutely. So they're just he sees them in that window. They're talking, like I said, doing the dishes, just enjoying life. Later that night, he broke into their apartment in the middle of the night and he overpowered them. Uh, he covered both of the young girls' mouths with duct tape before he bound their hands. Now, the way that he did this, when you have one person with a knife and you have two victims, is you had one girl who was asleep on the couch and another girl who was in her bedroom. So he comes in and he overpowers the girl on the couch first, duct tapes her mouth, ties her up, so now she's quiet. She's not an issue. Mm -hmm. Then he goes into the bedroom Gets the other girl, same thing. Duct tapes her mouth, ties her up. Um, he forced one young woman to perform oral sex on him before he raped, stabbed, and killed her. He returned to Sonia's dead body after it was all over and raped her again. So Sonia was the one who was the closest resemblance to the ex-wife. Again, we're with the, with the resemblance, uh, resemblance yes. to, yeah, okay. Yes. So he went so far as to cut off the girl's nipples and keep one as a trophy. Oh, okay. Now we're, we're getting real weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could have done without that. I know. Right. I know. So long before the first headlines could come out with this, uh, the murders are spreading through this little apartment building. It's the Williamsburg Village Apartments. Um, the names of the victims have not been released, but people, they were starting to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, they know it's, it's, that, it's apartment 13A. Mm-hmm. They, know, they know what's going on, and everybody's there. talking about it. That's right. right. They were whispering that the girls were freshmen. One was from Palm Beach, and the other was from Jacksonville. No one really knew them because, as I said, this was the first... They're freshmen and semesters just getting started. Yeah. Yeah. They haven't had time to get to know anybody. Um, they were all wondering how this could have happened without anybody hearing. And one neighbor says that he heard someone in the early hours of Friday morning on August 24th showering. And there was like, there was a loud song playing. And that song was George Michael's Faith. And so... What is happening? You can picture this as a horror movie, right? Mm-hmm. That's Danny yeah. Danny Rowling. Danny Rowling is in that apartment. He's taking a shower. He's got George Michael's faith blaring as he showers off, cleans off the bodies, and then does all of the things post-mortem that I've just told you that he does all while that song is playing. Like loudly. I didn't hate that song enough already. Oh, I love George Michael yeah. too. Yeah, not anymore. I love George Michael. And it's not George Michael's fault, of course, but but that sounds like a scene from a horror movie. It sure yeah, does. It sure does. Um, he said there were, the neighbor said there had been loud banging sounds, but he just assumed that his neighbors were, you know, getting ready, getting, hanging pictures. I mean, he's just thinking, you know, new neighbors got to get used to them. They're, they're banging around, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Didn't In a week, everything it. will settle down and we'll all get along. And it'll be fine. Yeah. The next day, Rowling killed Krista Hoyt in much the same fashion. He broke into her residence. After he raped her, he removed her nipples and placed them beside her. He then cut off her head 
and sat her upright on the edge of her bed. He then placed her head on a bookshelf where she is looking at her own body. Oh, God. That's weird. And this is what people see when they walk into the room. The first investigators or whomever walked into the room saw that. Yes. So by now, the news of the murders has spread across the university. Authorities are putting out as much information as they could to try and catch the suspect. And students are sleeping in groups. They're taking every precaution that they could because as they're now calling this the Gainesville Ripper, he could still kill, you know, one person, one or more. They're, they're, they're trying to sleep in big groups. Because it'd be impossible. He can't get us all. Somebody's going to hear the door yeah. open or the or the window being raised or somebody's got a knife under the pillow. Yeah. We're, we'll get him before he gets us. Yeah. On August 27th, rolling attacked Tracy Pauls and Manuel Taboada, both 23. And this is the next day, right? Mm-hmm. Or he within killed, days. Uh, within a couple of days. He killed Taboada while he slept. So he goes into this apartment and he's not prepared that there's a boy there. Mm. Manuel is, is asleep. So he immediately goes for Manuel and, and stabs him to death. You've you got to get the man out of the way. If got you him didn't out learn of the anything way. about the Golden State Killer, you've got to get the man yep. tied up and out of the way first. Yes. So then he kills Tracy and um, he, there was no mutilation to Tracy's body. And this is, I'm about to tell you possibly why there was not. So they were thinking maybe he got interrupted or he was in danger of getting caught or there was some, you know, loud noise or, or something. But what happened is there's a neighbor who hears loud music and he investigates. Okay. He walks into the apartment and he sees Tracy's in the hallway dead. Manuel is in his room dead. He sees a large black bag lying on the floor near Tracy's head. So he immediately goes out and slams the door and locks it. And he calls the police. By the time the police get there, the black bag was gone. Mm. He, so, because he heard the door slam and he realized somebody just walked in and saw this. Yeah. So I got to go. What they're saying was Danny Rowland was probably in the apartment yeah. when the guy came in. And then when he left, he took his bag and went away because he didn't have time to stay with the bodies and, and do all the things, position the bodies. All of these girls are in some sort of sexually provocative position. Right. After, after they die. And the one girl, he cut her head off. And it's it's escalating. So there's there's really no telling what all would have happened to Tracy Paul's body had he not been interrupted. Had he not heard that door slam. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't speak for you guys, but I know when I was in college, I lived in the same apartment complex for several years. Mm-hmm. And so we all knew each other. When we, when we came back from summer break and everybody got back into their apartment, you bring your clothes back in. We all just... The doors were open. Everybody could walk in. Yeah. We were all, it was a, it was a community. Mm-hmm. And so I see what you mean about the person hearing something and thinking, I'm going to go see what's going on over here because mm-hmm. that's my buddy's house or my yeah, buddy's apartment. I'm just going to walk on in. That doesn't sound like what they would do on the day back from school or mm-hmm. whatever. I'm going to go see what's going on. And you open the door and you see mayhem and murder. Mm-hmm. 
bam, the door slams. Call the cops. Rolling those, I got to go. Mm-hmm. And so he gets out of there somehow with that black bag yeah. before the, the cops get there because the roommate was like, there was a huge black bag on the floor near her head. It had all of his stuff in I it. I noticed it. Right. It was noticeable and now it is gone. Right. So, uh, and it, and you're getting this MO. He's, he's turning this loud music on. He's working, so to speak, to the loud music. Well, if you're in an apartment complex- mm-hmm. You, I mean, thin walls, hear. cheaply built. Mm-hmm. You've got to do something. And if it's a bunch of college kids, mm-hmm. you wouldn't think, at least initially, know what, that anyone's going to be weirded out by loud music. It's the weekend yeah. before college classes start back in the fall. Let's have one more weekend party. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So these murders all occurred less than two miles from each other around the University of Florida. Not all of these students were UF students, as I said earlier. Uh, Krista Hoyt was a Santa Fe Community College student, so that's local community college yeah. nearby. The University of Florida cancels classes for a week. This happens, you know, these in these four days, all this has happened to, they're and this canceling is 1990? classes. 1990. In I August remember, of 1990. I remember that. I was, so, a, I was a junior in college when this happened. Okay. Students brought baseball bats with them everywhere they went. I remember this. No one went out alone during the day or the night. Students are going to triple lock doors and some are going to sleep in shifts uh, so that someone's awake at all times. Terrifying to live like that. Can you imagine not having your home close to the campus? Because, you know, you could just go home. Right. But if you're from yeah, you're three or four. What if you're five from or Pennsylvania, six, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, you're from San Diego, and you're uh, and you a flew in Gainesville. Mm-hmm. You got nowhere to go. And so students were terrified, and so by the end of August, thousands of students left campus, and around 700 never came back to school. The University of Florida lost 700 students because of this. I can imagine. I mean, yeah. I bet some parents were like, uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're- you Pack your shit, home. get on the next I, plane, you're coming home. I don't and, care what we have to do. Right, yeah. and what what was what were the years of Ted Bundy in Gainesville? Was that 10 years before? Maybe. Early to mid-80s? Maybe, because you know, they got to be thinking, so here, they're like, here oh, we shit, go it's again. happening again. Yeah, here we go again. Yeah. Right. Katie's, well, now, Katie's th- looking Ted it Bundy, was that was at Florida State. Um, but still- but that was, he, was not, he was not in Gainesville. I, that was Tallahassee, okay. right? But still, I mean, if it, wherever FSU, FSU is Tallahassee. Okay, so so Ted Bundy was not Gainesville. He was right. in, but it's still, I mean, there's still the State. two big it's state schools. That, it would be like one being at Auburn, one being in Alabama. Yeah. It would be weird, yeah. You know, but the it was in um, it was uh, seventy eight, seventy eight okay. was when he mm-hmm. was there. Okay, all right, so. Uh, Police couldn't find enough evidence at the crime scene to implicate Danny Rowling. Danny disposed of the duct tape in dumpsters to get rid of any fingerprints. So he, t- he takes that duct tape with him. Once oh, it's over gotcha. With. So, I mean, he's thinking. Yeah. He used cleaner on the dead bodies to remove any traces of semen. In Shreveport, he uses vinegar to clean the body and then soap. He starts using soap in Gainesville. So and, you hear the, and, the shower running and the loud music and, and all that. And think about this. Of. Think about what we talked about with the uh, Golden State Killer uh, recently. DNA did not exist until 1986. And so this guy is coming along four years later and he realizes, I've got to clean this up or they're going to find me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to leave DNA fingerprints. evidence exists. Right, right. Um, 
As I talked to you about earlier, the female bodies were left in sexually suggestive positions with the exception of Tracy, who we believe he was interrupted before he could do anything right. like that. So they, they're understanding his method. Another thing that he, his weapon of choice is a K-bar knife. I'm going to go into some of the, the, as I said, this was, this incident was, insp- has inspired scream right i'll get i'll spit that out in a minute you did but anyways um he this incident inspired scream and if you'll remember the killer in scream uses a k-bar knife mm-hmm. Ghostface has that very distinctive looking knife right that he carries with him and you're so, gonna you're gonna tell us why yeah i'm gonna go well that's okay. danny Rowland's method of choice that's right. that's his weapon of choice yeah. is a k-bar knife Danny Rowling continued to steal from homes and gas stations until he was finally caught in Ocala after a high-speed chase. Now, he was wanted for the robbery of a Winn-Dixie as authorities still did not know that he was the Gainesville Ripper. So, they're, uh-huh. they're now that we, we want this guy because he's robbing places, he's stealing things. So, he's not just committing serial murders, he's also robbing... To get money. ...shittily named grocery stores. <laughs> That's what you're telling. Now, that was on uh, September the 8th, uh, two weeks after the murders. The triple murder in Shreveport of Julie Grissom, her father and nephew, clued the Gainesville police into their suspect because Grissom's corpse was left in a sexual position and was also stabbed to death. So, it fit the MO. Fits, it fits. And they're starting to kind of put this together and they had some tips called in. You know, someone said this was... There was this guy back in Shreveport and his name was Danny Rowling and he was kind of a strange guy at times. That's, that's kind of how they caught him, right? There yeah. was that one phone call yeah. where somebody said, I know this, I know sounds this guy. very similar yeah. to the, yes. But it wasn't until January of 1991, uh, more than four months after the murders, that police caught a break. Because of the similarities of the murders in Shreveport and Gainesville, Florida investigators sought DNA of prisoners from Shreveport who were incarcerated. Danny Rowland's DNA was similar enough to DNA left at the Gainesville murder scenes to charge him with murder because it turns out you can't get all of the DNA off by using soap and vinegar. Okay. Okay, so he did not do a good job. There was still DNA found. So they bring him in, and he is eventually going to confess. Now, that's the quick story after they bring him in. He's eventually going to confess, but to get there is not so quick. Okay. They bring him in. They find his tent in the woods that had a lot of his belongings. Like, that's there. where he lived for a, a, it is. a period. He, he camped out in the woods. He did, and they found a tape recorder where he had just rambled on in the tape recorder about, you know, what he was going to do. And then he says his name in the tape oh, recorder. So he's a... TV villain uh, admitting his crimes. Uh, something That's like that. what it that. sounds like. Oh. So, the longer story of how he confesses is this. Danny first will not speak to investigators. He only will speak through another inmate. 
So he gets this inmate to talk to the investigators for Anyone him. in particular or just another I inmate? I mean, there was an, it was another inmate there. I want to say the guy was there wanted for, he was there for murder as well. Okay. Um, Somebody who speaks my language, Danny Rowling said. I guess so. Right. And so the guy does talk to investigators and he says, Danny doesn't want to talk to you. He only wants to, to speak through me. And so he starts telling the investigators what Danny has told him to tell. Eventually, he starts really creeping this guy out. Now that, think wow. about, okay. think about I what will, I just said. I will pretend to be surprised if you like. Yeah. So he stops communicating through this other murderer. He's like, okay, I'm just going to talk to you guys. Mm-hmm. And the other murderer is like, I'm out, dude. You're weird. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I kill people, but dang. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. So um, he is going to talk to the authorities and he's going to say, look, Danny would never do something like this. But I do have some other personalities. Of course. And he's going to say, I do have this one personality, um, Yanad, who's kind of a Jesse James type. And he breaks rules, but he, he doesn't, he doesn't kill anybody. He said, but I, my, my other person, my third personality, Gemini is pure evil. And that's who, that's who kills people. That's who. Is anybody buying this? this? Um, and is he says, anybody in this room buying this? Well, it is possible that Danny could have developed other personalities to cope with the childhood abuse as a way to escape. However, okay, Danny never showed any of this in in childhood. He didn't have some of the the signs that you look for. He didn't have an imaginary friend. Mm-hmm. He didn't behave in just other mannerisms that children will, they will develop this as a coping mechanism. I get that. And they and look, will I know that use trauma, it to escape. I get it. But, but you ask a question, Scott, and you said, is anybody buying this? And it turns out, no, okay. the, the investigators are not buying this because they quickly figure out that that is the plot of the exorcist three. Ah, no. One of the scariest movies I've ever seen in my and life. Fact, by the name, way, Gemini was the killer uh, in Exorcist. Shut Story. the fuck that up. That was the name of the demon. It's been so long since I've seen it, but that is one of the scariest movies I've yes. ever seen. Go watch now The Exorcist I, 3 tonight. I was about I to say, I now I, I need to watch it. I don't know that I want it's, to. It's haunting. It's spooky. Yeah, it's spooky. Um, so, the also. It's in a hospital. In, oh, yeah. Also. You know, Gemini does all this killing, but says and speaks um, in a language, and it's basically the English language backwards. So I told you that he had this other personality, Yanad, and that's Danny spelled backwards. Shut up. Yeah. So authorities are, are quickly going <laughs> to. Well, and at Danny, least they figured it out, right? They do learn that Danny has recently gone to see this movie. I was okay. that, movie, that movie came out. I want to say I'm going to take a stab at it. That movie's 89, 88, 89, somewhere there. Exorcist three is somewhere. Yeah, he had seen after it. I went to college because I remember who I saw it with and the way we all freaked out at the scary scene in that movie. I'm not going to spoil it. It's 1990. 90. Yeah, that yeah, sounds so he right. Had, he had gone to see that, and so they are like, "Wait a minute, that's the plot of the Exorcist three. So they, they kind of that's insane. Yeah. They come at him with that, you know, yeah. look, dude, uh, 
So they've, they've got enough evidence to convict him from the DNA and the tape recorder. And um, this, this tent also had money that was stolen from bank and it had the dye on it. You know, they'll put those dye packs in there. So they, and so they're putting it together. Wow. This, the, the bank robber, this local robber is also this Gainesville Ripper guy. So they're, they're putting all that together. So Danny's going to ultimately, okay. Admit to that. So remember I said (laughs) he admits to it and that's the short story, but there, there was the long way around of what he was actually doing before he, he finally said, uh, yeah, I, he admitted to it and the details that I gave to you are his details, which fit the crime. Mm-hmm. I mean, no, no serial killer makes up the details of his crime, right? I mean, he's proud of them. I mean, we've yeah. talked about Edmund Kemper and all of these other folks that we've talked about in a year and a half. They don't have any qualms about giving you all of the lucid details, right? explicit details well, of their crimes. They're proud of them. Right, right. And, and that's, he talks about he walks them through the crimes. And of course, you know, these investigators, they've come into some of the most shocking crime scenes they've ever seen. These bodies are posed in such yeah. a way. and Sexually and, and with parts missing. Missing and, and uh, yeah. yeah. And and so they are, they know these things. It's very fresh in their mind what, what he's done. And mm-hmm. so he talks about how he, he goes in, he uses a screwdriver to, to go into the apartments. Sliding and, glass doors. Just like the Golden State Killer, I no, did he, read that part. He did. He a did lot of sliding those. glass doors. Mm-hmm. Yes, and if you have a sliding glass door at your house, buy a broom <laughs> and cut the stick just to the ex, the the perfect length. Oh yes, you can't slide it, it in, so that can't happen to you. Don't you, you have it. a sliding glass door? I don't, but if I did, I'd have oh, a fucking broom handle that would make sure that, that nobody could open it, especially after the last month of doing this true crime podcast with the two of you. Yes, mm. exactly. So he talks about the the he would take the duct tape from the crime scene and just throw it in a dumpster mm. nearby, and he talks about using the knife and the posing of the victims. He would he actually after the first victims, the freshman that I talked to you about, uh, Sonia and Christina, he he killed them and he left and he goes back to his tent, and he gets an idea. And he goes back. And that's when he starts posing the bodies. And He's like, nobody's going to find them in, for 12 hours. Mm-hmm. I have this amount of time to go back and do whatever and I want. And spend some time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's when that sort of happens. And then after he does that one time, then he goes to Krista Hoyt and it, it escalates. It gets even worse. And that's why authorities were thinking there's no telling what they would have found in the apartment of Paula and Manuel had he not been interrupted because he was escalating. Yeah. As serial killers are wont to do, they, they expound their horizons as they go along. Yes. And now a word about our wonderful sponsors. Shop Cherokee County first before you go out of town or shop online, Scott. Visit many retail businesses here in Cherokee County. And do you, you want to know why? Please tell me. Okay. They are faithful to support our local schools, our sports teams, our clubs, our community nonprofits, and more. So keeping your money here in the local economy, that's going to support all of that. Teresa and Joy do a great job at the chamber. Amazon sucks. Shop local. <laughs> Absolutely agree. <laughs> 
Local businesses provide jobs for you and your neighbors. So brought to you by the Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce. Shop local. I've seen you try to go out of town, Scott, and I'm not going to stand for it anymore. I don't trust myself to drive out of town. You better take your tail to the local shops from now on. Do you understand me? I will do a much better job of shopping locally. (laughs) Thank you for the Cherokee County Chamber of Commerce being a sponsor of the show and reminding us all to shop local. So the Post Herald here in Cherokee County is a uh, sponsor of True Crime on Easy Street, and we are conducting a subscription drive. What we want you to do is subscribe to the paper because in December, when the bowl matchups come out, we're going to put an entry list in the paper and only subscribers to the Post-Herald are eligible to win a $500 first place prize. You pick the most bowl game winners, you get Co- 500 bucks. College football bowl games. College football bowl games. All right. So step one, subscribe to the Post-Herald. Call 256-927-4476 to subscribe to the paper for as little as $20 a year, depending on your zip code. If you're right here in town, it's 20 bucks. All right. That sounds wonderful. And just a little bit about what's going on at Easy Street this week. Tonight, Wednesday the 26th, we've got Kendrick Abney at the bar corner. Thursday, the 27th, Carrie Oakey. Friday, the 28th, we have The Replacements, which is Shane Givens and Randy Baker. They'll be at the bar corner as well. And Saturday, you don't want to miss our Halloween party. Costume party, lots of prizes to be won, and Static Station will be playing. Don't forget that is Cherokee County native Blair Perry's band. You don't want to miss it. Now, back to the show. Now, guys, what story would be complete without a love interest? Right. Oh God, I was hoping this one, but I guess not, huh? Danny Rowland has a love interest. Ugh. And let me let me tell you a little bit about her. Her name I, is I hate her are already. Are you ready? Her name <laughs> is Sandra London. Okay. Sandra London is a true crime author and freelance journalist. No. She was Danny's fiance. Uh, after he was arrested. After his arrest. Yeah. Now, she was also the girlfriend of former de- former Deputy Sheriff Gerard John Schaefer, who was a convicted murderer and suspected serial killer. So, she has a type. <laughs> I have never heard of such. Yep. Now, through her connections with both men, Sandra got an inside look at their crimes and motives, and that led her to collaborate with them and publish two books. Now, with Danny, she wrote The Making of a Serial Killer, The Real Story of the Gainesville Murders. Now, Sandra and Danny started communicating via, via letters in June of 1992. While Back when was, you still had to do it that way. That was before email. Yes. Just before email. But you yes. still had to lick a stamp and drop it in the mail. That's right. In 92. While he was in Florida's prison. So, uh, Florida is Sandra's home state. So, he's in prison. He's waiting on the trial for these Gainesville murders. And they start writing letters. Now, I'm going to give you some quotes from Sandra. When they met, quote, sparks flew, end quote. Now, Sandra once said that she was not expecting to see such a, quote, fine-looking man through the glass partition. Uh, through the glass partition. Mm-hmm. Wow, I hope, if I ever say that to either one of you, kick me in the balls. So. And push me in the corner. Agreed. As, as, <laughs> As Danny walked toward her, she became hyper aware of the fact that, quote, I am a woman and this is a man, Mm-mm. end quote. And Mm-mm. there is a glass partition between us. They got engaged in 1993. 
Now, Sandra supported him through everything. And during his sentencing in court, you know, he gets to say something. Mm -hmm. When they're getting to the sentencing phase, he gets to talk. Is that right, Katie? Is this during the sentencing part? Mm -hmm. Because I'm going to just fast forward. They found him guilty. I mean, he's admitted to everything. Oh, so he admitted so to he, uh, all of it. Yeah, he probably even have took to... a yeah. Is you know yeah. So he played he played guilty. So then he's waiting on sentence. So there. So during that that part, he gets to say something, and he uses this time to serenade her with a song Mm-mm. in court. So she's sitting there at his sentencing hearing for his murder. Yeah, cases. Murderers. Do you like pina coladas? No, no. Okay. He's okay. So here's what you you can find the video online. Now you're going to watch it once to watch Danny and Sandra and and watch him serenade her. But you're going to watch it again to see the guards' reaction in the background. Are they dancing? It is priceless. Really? The if guard we, is and so now, and now over this homework. guy. We'll put a link on our Instagram right. by, and Let's stories that. for that. Yeah, you can find the video online and okay. he's just serenading her and she's just loving it. And the guard is just like, I'm in the twilight zone. Okay. So instead of begging, you know, for them to take it easy on him and sentencing, he's spending all his time to serenade no, he's, her. He's singing her a love song. Yeah. Yeah. In my opinion, this is a complete circus and a slap in the face to the victims and their families. Yeah. Just a, just a complete circus. Now, since we've brought up Sandra, where is she now? What's Sandra doing? I can't wait to hear. Well, she told the Washington Post in 1994, quote, like many women, I've had a weakness for good for nothing men, end quote. <laughs> so has my mother, but no murderers. <laughs> I, there's too many jokes. Keep going. But Sandra has made it very clear that she knew who she was dealing with when she had her boyfriends. Because remember, her her boyfriend before Danny was a serial killer, who was also a deputy sheriff. Right. Yeah, she's got a track record, and it's not very impressive. Mm -hmm. Now, as for Danny, it appears as if he fell in love with her. Just, I mean, well, the serenading was... It was evident he was quite smitten mm-hmm. with her. Um, and it was not the Pina Colada song? It was not the Pina Colada song. It was a song that Danny wrote. Okay. No. Yeah, he writes music. Well, he didn't want to violate anyone's copyright. That's true. Like I have just done. Yes. And uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, we don't own the rights to the Pina Colada song. <laughs> Scott does not. Um, he, Danny said, quote, my relationship with Sandra runs as deep as the Amazon River. End quote. Here's another quote. The Amazon she is, is longer than it is deep. She whatever. is an extremely exciting woman. My feelings for her, dot, 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 are my feelings. <laughs> just the, just the, now that's deep. That's, that's <laughs> profound. Just the mention of her name sends my heart racing to her. She is without a doubt my soulmate, and I thank God above for sending her my way, end quote. I think Weiss Lake in February is deeper than any of that. So Sandra continues to be a writer with most of her recent original work being uh, Good Little Soldiers, a memoir of true horror. She wrote with Diane Fitzpatrick. She's made several television appearances, and she apparently uh, resides in Black Mountain, North Carolina. Now, as for Danny Rowling, the Gainesville Ripper, Danny was executed 
on October the 25th. Finally, some good news. 2006 in Florida. At his execution, there were a total of 47 people, which is double the capacity of the viewing room. Rowling's last meal, you want to know his last meal? Was it lobster tail? Yes. He had lobster tail with oh, wow. butter, butterfly shrimp with cocktail sauce, a baked potato with sour cream and butter, strawberry cheesecake, and sweet tea. No way. Mm-hmm. On Rowling's deathbed, the 52-year-old sang a hymn-type song that rambled on for five verses. He called on the tunes of his childhood when he learned how to play guitar to find peace before his execution. And then he was executed. But as I said, our story doesn't end here because Danny Rowling's murders inspired the 1996 movie Scream. Right? I've told you that. So he was still alive when this movie comes out. He's not executed until 10 years later. Correct. Kevin Williamson was an aspiring writer in the 1990s when the Gainesville Ripper murders caught his attention. He used the case to create a screenplay for a horror movie, which revolved around the murders of college students and the media frenzy that surrounded the murders. Now, the screenplay turned into the 1996 cult classic Scream, and there's some differences, obviously, in the movie, if you've seen it, between Danny and the Who hasn't seen Scream? Right. The first one. So, Scream features... That opening sequence, nobody had ever seen. That was the most... uh, breathtaking open sequence in a horror movie ever. I mean, it changed. Absolutely. I mean, that was, uh, that was Drew Barrymore. It was, it was in that opening sequence. Brilliant casting. Yeah. Because no one, everybody thought Drew Barrymore was going to be a key. Yeah. Player in the movie. Five minutes later, she's hanging from a tree. She's sorry dead. if I didn't, if I spoiled yeah. it for you, but it's, it's been 27 years. So, yeah. So in Scream, the killer targets high school students and not college students. Right. As this and uses the the ghost face. It looks like the scream, the scream mask that you mask. see in every. Well, you told me earlier he, it's store. called Ghost Face. Right? It's called Ghost That's Face. It. Mm-hmm. And he uses a K bar knife. Ghost Face uses the K bar knife. Um, and Williams says, back when I was researching Danny Rowland, I wanted to write about a serial killer on a college campus and an FBI agent hunting down a college professor, but then I decided to do Scream, end quote. Uh, Williamson also worked on the television series The Following, if you guys remember that for Vaguely. a while. Okay. Vaguely. So, uh, but that's how this inspired the movie. So it's not, the the true life is much more horrific and scary and it's not fun and it's real people mm-hmm. and real individuals who lost their loved ones and, and learned that they had to go through horrific things before they died and after they died. Mm-hmm. Their bodies were, de- you know, just and te- e- it was terrible. And even more just living in absolute terror afraid they were going to be next. Yes. Yes. Uh, now as for our victims, there are now memorials across the University of Florida campus including five trees planted to honor the victims and a mural urging students to never forget. Um, Our college students, one more time, Sonia Larson of Deerfield Beach, Christina Powell of Jacksonville, Krista Hoyt of Archer, Manuel or Manny Taboada of Carroll City, and Tracy Pauls of Miami. 
Our Shreveport victims are Julie Grissom, Tom Grissom, and Sean Grissom. And I'll make sure and put some of put their pictures on social media so you can see the victims. And you can definitely see in the girls the similarity of looks. Why he, and there, there was a common look, right? That's, there was a common look. They, in his mind and his eyes, they resembled his ex-wife, right? But I guess after he met Sandra, all of that went away, mm-hmm. and he, mm-hmm. he was in love. I'm just glad that he went away, and he, yes, he was executed on October 25th of 2000. Never really been a big fan of. Uh, state-sponsored execution, but the more we do this show and the longer we talk about these kinds of people, the easier I sleep at night when I know that some of these people are no longer with us Mm. and somebody made sure of that. So, Well, and Danny, you know, just- I'm back and forth on that. Yeah, just from from birth, had a, a rough lot in life. You know, his dad was abusive, but you know what? There are a lot of people who have gone through that. There are a lot of people who and have struggled not, with that yeah. and they didn't hurt anybody right. and they never would. Mm-hmm. And it's very confusing. If we could answer that question, what makes a serial killer? Well, we talked about about that when we did a few weeks ago with John Douglas and the FBI guy in Mindhunter. Mm-hmm. I mean, he thinks that there, there are proclivities that people have. And if you get shoved down the wrong path, then you may become one of those people, but you may have those proclivities and have a, a decent life. Or even have a bad life, but just not succumb to those. Yeah, because, you know, Ted Bundy said that his family life, it was like uh, the Cleavers. Yeah. But I would disagree with Ted because Ted at one point found out that who he thought was his sister was actually his mother. And that was a pretty traumatic event. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I might disagree a little bit with Ted. And he was probably how old at the time? A teenager. Yeah. And uh, Ted blames... uh, Pornography for his murders. Got to blame something, you know. Couldn't just be yeah. good old self. Well, yeah. I hope that's not the case. Move so, along. So, <laughs> good Lord. So, um, but anyway, so our victims, at least they have a memorial. They have the trees planted there on campus. And we will get that video link up to you so that if you want to watch the song to the love interest, you can take a look at that. If not, I do not. If not, totally, yeah, move right along and it's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just a circus. But I don't know, Katie, in court, how does that work? I mean, obviously he was allowed to finish the song. So is that a, is there a law about that or does it depend on the judge? You know, I guess each state is different on that, but I would think that there's not a law. I wouldn't think he... His, so the judge time would, could would, have just said, all right. I would think... Shut that, up and sit down. Most of what I know about it is that is that judge's courtroom. Okay. Yeah. You know? I mean... That sounds like he just allowed that to happen, but I don't know. I don't know. And I don't even know if the sure. judge was a he or a she. I don't remember. Well, I just remember, and one more time, I'll go back to the Golden State Killer, which we just finished on this podcast, but there was a time when after everything else was finished, Joseph D'Angelo had an opportunity to speak mm-hmm. and he stood up and his, his statement was very brief. He said, I've listened to your statements, all of them. And I'm very sorry. And he mm-hmm. sat back down and that was the end of his statement. But I think they would have let him speak as long as he wanted to. And I guess in this case with Danny Rowling, mm-hmm. 
somebody handed him a guitar and said, you got five minutes, here's the spotlight. No, he Make was it a, He did not have a guitar. He just started Whatever. singing. Whatever. Yeah. But I guess if you're going to let the guy speak, you let him speak. Yeah. I mean, everything I see was just the judge gave him his opportunity to speak and the, we're, I guess yeah, he just let him to say what he said. you into a hole and cover it with dirt. Do you have any last remarks? Yeah, and that was really the only notable thing to me about this case that happened in court because he had confessed. I mean, they had the DNA evidence. They would have gotten a conviction anyway. And he still got the death penalty, even though he confessed. Well, and- you know. Also, a a story or a song that we know all the words to here on this podcast, and I'm curious about that. I wonder why he, I wonder why he confessed. I mean, it's almost like he was like, all right, you got me. Yeah, I did it. Let's mm-hmm. get this over with. And, and we've heard that from other serial killers on this episode or on this podcast before. Yeah, and I- When you I, get me, like, all right, you got me. I'm sure that he went through an appeals process and- Yeah, state mandated, you know, though. Always. Not that he necessarily wanted to do it, but um, if you get I a think, death sentence, there's an automatic appeal that kicks in in most states, right? Yeah, and I Katie? think that Danny wanted to appeal. I mean, he obviously now with this love interest had a reason to be- okay. So you can also Green. appeal your sen- like you know your sentencing. Yeah, yeah. and he- um, he, you know, started trying to get out of it. Well, and they're always defense attorneys, and I'm not knocking defense attorneys. I know the guys are just doing their job trying to make sure that the, the law is applied correctly and the Constitution is upheld, but there's always going to be a defense attorney out there who will take a death row case. Mm-hmm. Just in case you're the guy who gets him off on some technicality, maybe something that happened in the original trial wasn't done properly. or Well, and sometimes those things have changed Some discovery. Laws. Or the laws have changed, and you have an advantage that the previous attorneys initially didn't have. Mm-hmm. So there's, um, hey, look, let's let's all do what we got to do to make sure that the law gets applied correctly. But if you admit that you did it, and your fingerprints are on the knife, and the victim's blood, see ya. Yeah, he left DNA evidence yeah. there, and they were yeah. able to match it. Yeah, so he was, he was gonna, you know, get. I mean, they they were pretty convincing, obviously, to him that right. we're gonna we're gonna get a conviction. Yeah, and so he finally he threw out all the theatrics at that moment and and confessed after karaoke night. And well, that was before and before karaoke. And yeah. then okay. at sentencing, we had karaoke night, okay. and that is. Yeah. But like I said, you you would watch it once to to watch him and Sandra and see how they act in the circus that they are. And then you watch again to see the guard. Okay. Who is sold. I'm, I'm going to go home and watch it. Who is my favorite person in the video? Really? <laughs> All right. Um, but uh, anyways, I will definitely put up our victims pictures so that you can see yeah. our victims and um, individuals that were totally random to him. Just yeah. looked a certain way. You just saw out and about, you think? Yeah. 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 Right. He's he's in the grocery aisle. And, yeah, because he's going around robbing places. Mm-hmm. You know, because you know if they were there, if it was their first day, they're they're getting ready for the summer or the fall semester to start. Mm-hmm. They're stocking the fridge. They're pushing a buggy through the grocery store. Oh, together, yeah, picking out all the things they want to cook and make and eat. And I don't know that that happened, but that no, seems I mean, like a perfectly logical place to find the yeah. Victim you're and he didn't for. actually say where he targeted them, but he does stand at their window and watch them for quite some time. So he, so he, he he's seen them before then, or maybe not. Maybe he's yeah. just walking through the, well, and, and the they, landscaping he knew that he could get into the apartment easily yeah. and yeah. that kind of thing. So right. 
Yeah. So that's the case of Danny Rowland and the serial killer that inspired Scream. Just in time for Halloween. I know. So we got to go home and we got to rewatch Scream and we got to uh, watch The Exorcist 3. I've never seen that. It's frightening. Is it? I feel like I've seen it. I swear. And I just saw this a month ago. One of the top 10 most frightening scenes in any horror film ever is go watch it. Okay. It will go pee before you start the movie because you will pee your pants. Well, if I've you're, seen the if you're first holding one. it, don't. I was really into all the exorcists at one point. The third like, one has nothing to do with Is it scarier than the first one? The, the third, it's a different kind of movie. Okay. All right, there's uh, this Gemini guy well. has been captured and he's being interviewed. It's, I'm not even going to try to describe it. There's a portion of the film that takes place in a hospital. Scary AF. I'll have to watch that without Shane because no way he would watch it with me. Yeah, it's pretty good stuff. Whew, I don't know if I can watch that, but... Mm-hmm. We'll see. Is that it? Yep. Happy, Are we done? Uh, everybody have a safe and happy Halloween. Yeah. Find us on uh, truecrimeatazstreet.com and do all of that cool stuff. Give us some five-star reviews. Mm-hmm. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We'll have all of our cool stuff up soon, sooner than later. <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs>